You've had the time to think it over. All that remains is for you to stay or to go. But haven't you had enough tonight? Didn't you make the morning light? I was a fool to turn back to you. here with Pete Woodruff. The first thing we need to do is probably talk about how we all know each other. So I'll go first because mine is quick. Um, I know Pete from, I guess it's something like, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago, you came to me to really? sort of brush up your piano skills to sort of support, <laughs> your, to support your songwriting, if I've got that right. So yeah. we, we spent some time doing that and then I think I came over to you. Oh, actually we co-wrote a song together and then I played on a couple of tracks of yours and did some keyboards. Yeah. So that's how we that's how we got off the ground. But you go back much further, of course, with Nick. Yeah, I was wearing short trousers and making the tea and ended up making the tea on parts of the uh, first massive cutting crew album. And they gave me a credit, even though nothing I did was ever kept. But it was very kind and very <laughs> unlike most artists. <laughs> well, tea is very important, as you know. <laughs> Flood was, was, there were two tape ops starting the same week. And one brought loads of tea and was called Flood, nickname. And the other one was called Drought. And Flood <laughs> did quite well. <laughs> oh, my word. That's a true story. I love it. I remember because the studio was, it was a great studio back in 1985. And then you guys turned up and you'd already got Die In Your Arms. You, had, you were listening to the mix from, from Tim Palmer. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a massive hit record. And you, you were kind of recently signed. sitting at the left-hand end of the desk and you were on a call with Siren and they were saying, oh no, no, you can't possibly have a song title that begins with a bracket. And you were saying, no, it's fine. And they're going, no, 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 no. And I said, I can't get no satisfaction. He said, what about I can't get no satisfaction? <laughs> I got a job making tea for, for Andy Hill, who was at the time producing and writing for Bucks Fizz. Um, he went on to do Think Twice for Celine Dion did great and uh, lovely guy. So I thought, oh no, what, um, rather than being a producer and going away for the whole whole of my, my life and missing my kids growing up, um, I would be a songwriter. So I started writing in 2000-ish and had a few hits with people like um, Rooster and it's all called Come Get Some. And we, we'd written a number three for Sir Cliff, um, <laughs> uh, which was his last hit actually. And 
it, when the money came in, I was like, oh, this isn't particularly, you know, for a number three single. I know he doesn't get much airplay, but we had a song that we owned. There was no record label, it was just a demo. And it got used in, a, in an ad in Canada for Chevrolet and in America for Nivea. And we made really more money than we did from a cliff hit. So at that point, I thought, let's, why don't I focus on writing stuff with unsigned bands? Excuse me, Jens, if you interrupt, that's a very multi-purpose song, isn't it? Chevrolet and Nivea. So yeah, I know. It was, it was a car cleaner and a skin cream. <laughs> <laughs> and I also in 2011 had a song which had wasn't wasn't a hit anywhere, um, but was a kind of YouTube thing and had 28 million streams on YouTube. Woo! And when it had 10 million streams, the royalties came through, and it was I had a third of the writing, didn't own it, just you know, songwriter, and I got. A check for twenty pounds. I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> this is a bit. So I then kind of got involved in a thing called Basca, um, and then just trying to figure out what the hell's going on with with the money from YouTube and streaming. And I now I'm on the board at PRS, on the council rather, not the board, but the council. But that was a seminal. That was a seminal moment, was it, when your YouTube royalty came through? Because yeah. it is astonishing. I think it's the crux of. Uh, what we'd like to get into today because I think it's a fascinating area and a very passionate area. I mean, I did a, a video interview yesterday and I couldn't say the word Spotify. I spat it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's... <laughs> you've come, Spitify! Spitify! <laughs> Spotify is an interesting one because Spotify, the, the, there is a problem. Now, as a, as a, this is me talking, not a, a PRS person. This is not the view of PRS. This is a popular opinion sure, sure. that when streaming came in, the record labels ceased to um, have to have a factory to make records or CDs. They ceased to have to employ a guy to drive up the M1 to Darlington to go to the record shops and say, "Look, this is the new Cutting Crew album." So all their cost, or a lot of their costs, disappeared. Mm -hmm. You know, so record labels became marketing machines. But the historic split, which is when you sign any band signs to a record label, of the money that comes into the record label, only 20% goes to the artist and 80% goes to the record label, which in the old days was justified because they had factories, they had sleeves being made, they had all those costs. There is an argument that that split now has to change because why is the label taking 80% of the money? It's not right. and songwriters historically got actually less like five percent but nowadays on spotify 15 percent or just a bit under goes to i don't don't quote me on the figures but roughly 15 14 percent goes to the songwriters mm -hmm. and 55 percent goes to the label and if i was to cover i just died in your arms and put it on my little label i've got a sync let's say it was used on a on a bmw advert for the world me with an artist recording we would split the money you get half as the writer and we get half that seems fair because half is the production and half is the genius song if i put it out on my label you get very little basically yeah and that's possible. wrong it's it to me the song it's about the song every i had a, a another road to damascus experience i was at a radio 2 festival in a day and all these bands were playing and they'd come on and it was a picnic, <laughs> you know, people sitting, having their picnic, chatting to the kids, and then they'd sing the hit and everyone would stand up and go completely crazy. And you think, well, it's about the song. 
And the labels would say, no, it's the artist who makes the song big. And yeah, that's true. You know, when we had our Simply Red Cup, that made the song big. But it needs a good song as well. So the crux so, of this is streaming, is it? The crux yeah, of so, the problem. So the crux is that Spotify, you know, the problem is a million streams on Spotify isn't that many. When, when Ed Sheeran gets five million a day on one song, to get a million streams sounds amazing, but it's not that many. But the split, the, what the songwriters and the artists are getting at the moment, the creators are getting too little. The label takes too big a chunk. To me, um, Spotify takes, you know, they take what the record shops used to take. Uh, it's a new world, isn't it? I, I, think, I think the legal side of things hasn't caught up quite yet. They've, they've been very slow and trying their best. I'm not an expert here. This is purely me on the outside looking in. But it is getting better, though, isn't it? Every year, another little tweak happens. I think so. I think it, it can't really go on. I think also the government inquiry, the, you know, the fact that, that they, <laughs> there are still deals where you get deductions in your income as an artist because of breakages, which is from when 78 used to break in the box on the way to the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, know, I know a band who will remain nameless, but I worked with them for four albums and they're quite successful. And uh, when, when Spotify initially, all their stuff was put up on streaming, their label said, right, we've looked at your contract and it doesn't mention digital anywhere. So we'll put it on Spotify and we'll keep all the money. Gosh. Uh. <laughs> Hey, Nigel, I've got up on my wall um, just there um, a, a page from a contract we signed with Virgin in 1985. And it's something like, you know, this contract is, put, is, is uh, relevant to the UK, to Europe, to the world, to the universe, and to any planets yet discovered. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> my God. But part, part of this, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, but and part of this is all part of the changing nature of um, accessing music, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it, it seems to me that songwriters now, we're used to get one, two, three people write a song. Now you get eight or nine often. Um, yeah. And it seems to be, again, tell me if I'm wrong, but we, we are under the impression that because of streaming, they haven't got time for the intro. They need to get they, they get the song straight off from the moment. So your intros are becoming kind of obsolete. They're getting shorter and shorter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that correct? I mean, yeah, totally correct. Yeah, it's an, it's an algorithm, isn't it? Actually, an actual algorithm that spots it, or is that thick myth mythology? I just think it's attention span. If you can skip, skip, skip. You know, in the old day, you know what it was like. We used to buy an album and listen to it and go, oh. I've got a list here of um, cutting crew singles. Uh, Mockingbird, 20 seconds. Sweet Auburn, 36 seconds. Any Colour, 45 seconds. Been in love before, 42 seconds before the, vid before the vocal enters. So are you reasonably optimistic about the future because it's gradually getting better? Yes, I'm very optimistic about the future, but it, it'll be a few years. And I think um, music has to, music changes, you know, when, when, album the cd was the length of the head of sony's favorite symphony or something you know the format dictates the problem now is that if you if three of you write an album track on a kylie album and it comes out on spotify only the singles will really get much streaming yeah. album tracks might get a million streams and if you're a songwriter and you get a third of a million streams just as a songwriter you get a hundred quid yeah. which yeah. is quite depressing and even if that's double to 200 quid, 
still pretty depressing. A young band who got a proper, proper number one in England, like in our days, Pete, that would be serious record sales. And you'd get some money and you'd buy a new coat, you could buy a van maybe, um, you know, take the wife for, for, for dinner. It, it's it's not the same now. And, and it's a very upside down world where now you the, the old thing that used to get a little bit frowned upon if you were a pop star, oh dear, we've got to go and sign CDs, you know. It, it's the thing, it's interact with the fans, these meet and greets, although I do find them slightly offensive when I see, you know, to meet and greet 650 bucks or something for 10 seconds photograph. But it has changed the industry totally, hasn't it? Well, what, what is good is that you can listen to every music you've ever thought of ever. It's amazing. There's always a trade-off, isn't there? Because being able to um, have access to uh, software means lots of people who weren't able to go and record music. They had ideas. They can now record music on their computer. The, the good thing is they can do that, and lots of people have got access to, to that. The bad thing is it's not all good, and the people who are good have got millions of other songs and pieces of music for up for the people who are looking for good stuff to wade through so then amidst all the mediocre and bad stuff the one good thing might get lost because there's so much in the classical world peter maxwell davis said when he grew up as a composer there were probably about five classical composers in the whole of the uk um now he said there are thousands but they're not all doing good work. But then trying to find the good one is that much harder. What does any of this mean with classical, Nige? Is it affecting your world at all very much? I mean, I know you said about introducing some new composers and maybe artists is it um any comments <laughs> uh what has changed apparently is that publishers used to be there to publish works and composers they believed in and they would also nurture them and look after them that doesn't happen anymore uh, as i'm told that whole industry is almost non-existent publishers are now accountants they instead of a publisher looking out for some music that they really think is worthy and then nurturing that composer and publishing their music. What happens is the classical publishers look out for people who are attracting huge audiences on YouTube and then go, right, that's, that's going to make a lot of money. So we will go to them and we will then help them and publish their work. So they're looking for the money because apparently it's run by accountants and not by musicians anymore. So if that's all true, that's um it's part of the commercial capitalist world i guess and that's some of these things we have to adjust to but it's not all good and it's the same in in pop in that the nr job now is a question of who's getting the most stream yeah well it's a mixed bag but i guess we're all going to continue doing what we do because well, part <laughs> we can't do anything else the other thing is with classical if you write a a 15 minute piece and oh. someone streams it and listens to every second of that you get the same as if I write a song oh. two minutes long. <laughs> oh, really? Is that how it yeah. works? I think so. There's, there are, there's definitely a classical lobby who want to um, yeah. change that. Uh, so that was really good to catch up with Pete. Probably even more so for you. If it's, what was it? Did he say 37 years? Wonderful. What a... 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 What
Start again now. Start, start with laughing again. We'll, we can't do one can't of those. Do that. They've heard that before. What a, what a, what a. What I really want. I'll tell you what yeah. I want. What I... <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, that was very good catching up with Pete. Um, for me, but perhaps even more so for you, if it's been, was it 37 years, you said? Never met the man since then, no. And of course, he was a young lad then in the, in the industry. I found that fascinating, really yeah. did. Um, yeah. I felt my knuckles slightly wrapped when I was, you know, ranting about Spotify. That taught me quite a lot about, yeah. you know, how who might possibly be making all the money and it mm. might not all be Spotify. So hope you enjoyed that. Thank you, Pete. And um, definitely up for that beer soon, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Well, actually, he's, um, he was probably just getting his own back from when I taught him piano. I used to wrap his knuckles when he hit a wrong note. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> See, I didn't know that side of you, Nigel. I uh, know, well, you, you're, it's all ahead of you. That <laughs> um, very nice. Interesting that the... I think one of the most interesting things from our point of view is the fact that because of streaming and uh, getting straight in without the intros, that it's changed the writing. People write a song differently. Perhaps that's always happened because of the, whether you're writing for a 78 record or a 33 or a CD, there are certain constraints. So maybe it's just the way things are, but it's kind of very alien to us to think, well, I've got to write a song perhaps without an intro. Mm. Um, when for us, as far as I'm aware, uh, I'm concerned, intros are an integral part of the song. Mm. Now, yeah. As we said in the interview with Pete, you know, our cutting crew, you can wait nearly a minute for a couple yeah. of our songs to get there. Mm. But they're hopefully, as you say, integral. Um, of course, back in the 60s, you know, with the Beatles, when we touched on them, singles were three minutes. You know, some of those yeah. Beatles songs were impossibly two and a half minutes long. My friend Colin, who's a, a bit of a Beatles nut and knows all the details he told me i can't remember but it was much less than three minutes a lot of the, the average time of the beatles song it was two minutes something yeah or a searchers or a tremolos yeah know, that I was guess that so. era yeah. then of course prog rock came out and you know people would make triple albums yeah. and and i we we grew up on that you know regardless of what you going off into classical work well, i'm sure it's in your classical writing yeah. as well so you know we were used to overblown stuff i hope cutting crew kind of met it halfway but i don't know about now i don't know whether you know the new um you know jason um bieber uh, jason bieber edit <laughs> old oh, yeah. man justin's Just, brother it's yes, justin's brother <laughs> jason's still got uh, justin bieber i mean whether they're three and a half minutes you know fashioned to work yeah. I, I really don't know um but in, in the 80s we were getting away with five five and a half minutes yeah. you know. and then what was uh bohemian rhapsody can you remember what that was no because i remember that was a song when, when it came out people that was the kind of typical classic example of people saying well that you can't have that as a hit record it's way too yes. long yeah but of course people loved it and they accepted broke all the rules so uh, as soon as you said bohemian rhapsody the dog started barking Obviously, well they love that song. queen fan <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah so it was very interesting and yeah. um I think that uh, I will try, next time I write a song, I'm going to go straight in. Right? Have you ever done it, consciously? There is one on, uh, maybe there's two or three on Africa, yeah, there's yeah. so many, yeah. um, but already gone on um, oh, yeah. the enormously selling Ad Favourites album. Yeah. It just comes in, you've had the time That's to right, think it, does, it over. Yeah. Um, but quite rare for me. Yeah. yeah. But it has got a charm, actually. Having said how I love intros... It's got a charm when you just go straight in. If it if it's what the song 
how you conceived the song yes. in the first place, if it makes sense. Well, that song was very much a tip of the hat to Orbison, that yeah. kind of vibe. So that's actually, the first thing you hear is just bare vocal, isn't it? It's, yeah. You have the, and then the it's chord called, comes and what in. a lovely idea. Mm. But that said, you can't, let's dive into a few. Mm. I mean, you can't imagine I will survive without this, can you? You can't, that's part of the song. Yes. So, in the same way that... Can you uh, do that again? Do, close your eyes and do that. <laughs> it's virtually identical, to be fair. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's, it's signature, isn't it? Oh, it, it is, and, it, and it, it gets you ready for it. It kind of gets you, um, it lifts you ready for the song. So it serves a purpose, in a sense. What is that? What, what are we doing there? A diminished or a what? Yeah, you've got an E bass, but then an F diminished. Taking you back to the E, which wants to take you back to yeah. So, um, and likewise, Nina Simone. You, it's part of the song. You can't, you can't go straight into Billie Jean, can you? You've got to have... Again, it sets the song up, yep. and they're they're big parts of that whole genre of writing. Um, I, I know it's it, it's ludicrous to suggest that um, one's right and one's wrong, and, and we're yep. certainly not. It's whatever fits. But you know, tying it back to why we're talking about this is because of this streaming thing, this yeah. algorithm. I'm surprised Pete didn't understand quite when I said about the algorithm. I, that's what I've been told. You know, there's this thing that that finds the songs that that get on with it quicker. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it wasn't in the interview, but, you know. No, it was, but, I, I mean, Pete, you know, he's getting on a bit, he drinks a lot, maybe he he's just forgotten, <laughs> you know. But, you know, you're, you're at the mercy of, of that. Yeah. Um, if you get spotted, you don't. And um, I remember, this is off-tangent a bit, and we'll see if it survives in the show, folks, but um, when, before heavy ability to... Um, process mm. plays on the radio, yeah. uh, which now every little tiny radio station in Iceland has a computer and it mm. logs all your plays. Back in the eighties, it was great. I mean, we had a hit, you know hit records in in America, especially, and there would be a man who'd drive around the mid states of America and he'd turn up on a Tuesday at KWPJ uh, at two o'clock randomly, and they'd say, "Hey there, Jim, what have you been playing today?" And he'd go, oh, well, we, got, we played the cut and crew and we played, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that you get. So if you were on that man's list that day, you'd get a royalty. You may have been played every day of the week a oh, hundred times. But if you if it wasn't on the sample day, you, you didn't get paid. Uh, so it's a very odd, random way. It kind of worked, I suppose. But um, what's my point? I have no idea. What but my but point so is. many things, I suppose, were like that. They were sort of erratic and a bit more random. And then... Um, technology comes along and it pins it a bit yeah. like in the studio when you listen to old tracks by I don't know Stones Beatles Cream, Surgeons, whatever, yeah. they often get faster because the drummer is enjoying it and the yeah. excitement now that's not allowed you know you everything's played bang on and if it isn't bang on it's sorted out afterwards in the mix isn't it These, so. well in, in your pro tools there you know you have this um, um button that you can press at the end folks you know and it just tightens it all up yeah but yeah. you can also untighten it can't you can you uh, yeah there's a way of making it sloppier which might be good for my writing 
Well, actually, I do record quantizing. That. That's right. I, yeah, quantizing. I very rarely use it, yeah. and maybe that's—I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But if I'm doing orchestral stuff, I want it just to sound like it's. I don't want it to have to be anchored in a beat. Yes. It's different to writing a pop song, which yes. does tend to have drum beats. So. Yeah. I want it to be drifty. It makes things awkward sometimes for singers to go, oh, I need to come in there, and mm. I'm not sure where that is. But um, I like the feel of it being more fluid and liquid. Totally agree. So, we, uh, we go on tour next month you know, with an orchestra with uh, Go West, and um, there's many parts in, in it that have been written with um, Raoul, and yeah, um, yeah. Just slowing down and then speeding up. And, um, and I, they're, they're crucial. Well, they're, I guess they're not, but they are, you know. Yeah. And so that orchestra leader will stand in front of the conductor oh. and he will slow it down. And, and of course, the drummer, uh, Phil, a lovely quote from him. I said, are you going to be okay with all this on the charts? He said, he's Austrian. He said, I have one rule. He said, never watch the conductor. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder what experiences he's had in the past. Um, oh, right. Well, actually, I'm... I'm that should be good on the day. I think I'll avoid that one. Of course, I shall be coming to one of those. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, okay, let me test you on one or two. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've only got to hear that. It's very simple. And, what, and that is, of course... Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. So, I mean, again, it's a big, long song, very complicated, but with that simple piano that opens it up. Yeah. I don't know if you know this one. What's this? Michael McDonald or Doobies? Doobie Brothers. Yes. That's it. What a fool believes. Beautiful. And another classic. This is all. These are all old because I'm old. Aren't I know it sounds funny. Exactly. Easy. Oh, Easy like Sunday morning. That was my Commodores, oh, wasn't it? God. When my my dad was a, a Friday night, Saturday night DJ, you know, village halls mm. of Sussex, and in the early years, I would just go on a Saturday night and help him out, you know, and I'd be up there. That was always the summer I'd be. I'd spot the beautiful brunette in the corner, <laughs> and he'd put Easy on. I was like, I'll be, I'll be back in a minute. And I may not be home tonight. Yeah, <laughs> gorgeous song. Uh, I mean, they're all winners, aren't they? Um, Okay, this one has got the famous major seventh that we talked about. About was it Neil Finn? Yes. Who doesn't allow so major Neil seventh? Neil like this. Yeah. Oh. Wow, that 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 rising keyboard part. That's there. whole tones. Oh. Well, it's Stevie Wonder, isn't Stevie it? Wonder, What's sunshine, it called? Sunshine, like, yeah. That's wonderful. Whole yeah. tones. Whole it? tones, yeah. That's the um. Doesn't happen very often in popular music. music. No. Um, again, sim another famous one. Very, very simple. <laughs> Don't get much simpler, but that's beautiful to set the song up. And if, start from the beginning again. So we're playing the record now. One, two, three. So you got some I do. So she's in or he's in on, on the yeah. eight, eight bars. Close yeah. to you, yeah. So I suppose you could argue that she could have gone, why do straight enough the top, you know? I hadn't thought but that that actually would be yeah, nice this is as well. Counter arguing. Yeah, you know, I think that's very this big the intro is yeah. so important, but it's such a strong yeah. it's a back rack, is it? 
It's the Carpenter's... Pro uh, probably was Baccarat. I think yeah. it was Baccarat. We'll have to um, look that one up, folks. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Uh, the lovely thing about, I suppose, for the intro is that what it does for the audience, they hear that and they then are ready for the vocalist. They sort of... But you're right. That, you, that would be nice. Just that one so far yeah. that you could possibly have yeah. cut the front. Uh, what, else, what other ones have we got? Um, Then covered by stereophonics. Did it, did it, uh, uh, ra something about a rag? Counting. I'm not a singer. I don't uh, know the words. But ever seen a blind man across the road? Oh yeah. Trying to reach the other side. The handbags and flare rags. Something <laughs> rags. Yeah, that, everything oh, about rags. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, the one big start of a piece there's so many the one that i grew up with i used to have a little tape recorder mm. as a young teenager and i used to listen to it every single night when i went to bed was this <laughs> Rhapsody in Blue, and it had that big George Gershwin, Gershwin yeah. and it had that big the actual that opening the piano you can't glissando, yeah, the, the clarinet, the clarinet, you, it squeezes the notes up, yeah. which is just the most phenomenally wonderful. So you were you were as a teenager hearing that stuff, yeah, um, you know, also listening to Genesis or whatever, but your yeah. ears were open to that. Yeah. yeah, I fell in love with that's one of the first sort of what we might call classical pieces, jazz orientated, that I fell in love with, and I literally played it every night in bed held against my ear okay so we'll just do one last one because this again is a different style um Which was made very famous by Frank Sinatra. Frank, okay. It's a, I think they called them torch songs. So it, he sat at the bar. It, it happens in one of what the songs. Films. Torch songs. Torch. Like holding a torch for my love. Yes. You know? Yes. I, I don't know if it was Pal Joey. It was one of the fake films where he sat at the bar. It's all gone wrong with the girl. He sits at the bar drinking whiskey. He's got that hat on, you know, that Sinatra look. And he's just saying to the barman, set him up, Joe. It's quarter three. You know. And they'll turn and sing that song in the film. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. gotcha. And the lovely thing about it is, is I had a friend down, Graham, a good friend of mine, who's um, he's a successful businessman. He's not a musician. Mm -hmm. And I played this while we were just sitting around waiting to go out. And he said to me, do you have to decide when you play that how many piano bits to put in or leave out? And I, I hadn't thought about that because when you do this, the song is... Quarter, let me try and do it without the piano. It's a quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. But the, in between those you get, if I can do this, um, it's quarter to three. 
But I play all those bits, the yes. vocal and those. Yeah. And, and so for Graham, who's not a musician, to, to say, you know, do you have to make a decision? I thought was a brilliant yeah. sort of insight. And yeah. I say he's not a musician. If he's had six pints of beer and eight Jack Daniels, he does the best version of Food Glorious Food <laughs> you have ever heard. So um, we'll anyway, that was a, we'll a get real, him down for that one. We maybe. will. That was a but, big... that, but the point being then is that you you it, the melody and the ascending chords would be quite enough in it to some people. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place. Except you and me. Let's just let Frank take this through to the end, Nick. Great. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. Bye. So set him up, Joe. I got a little story. I think you should know. We're drinking, my friend, to the end. Of a brief episode Make it one for my baby And one more for the road